0: to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing or you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Yeah.
1: Morning. Nice to see you.
0: Yes, and you. Um, just hoping this morning that we're okay for technical elements. We've both been having a little bit of fun, so fingers crossed we'll be all right.
1: Touchwood, we'll be yeah. fine.
0: <laughs> um, if not, we're just going to carry on regardless and just be total pros about this. If yes.
1: anything.
0: <laughs> so, Olivia, your official job title then is an equine or an animal behavior consultant. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that is correct. And, um, you with- and I'm also work with dogs as well yes. um and I'm also an equine bitting specialist
0: perfect so we're going to be chatting today then about lots of different things but we're going to be looking at themes mm-hmm. along the lines of building your horse's confidence we are going to concentrate on horses this morning but obviously lots of us have dogs as well so there might be a little bit of dog in there every yep. now and again um <laughs> but yeah you know how you can build your horse's confidence because it's really important isn't it in order to be performing at your best in order to be mm-hmm. feeling good you know most of us well I hope all of us really are doing this because we absolutely love horses um and even the professionals started because they absolutely loved horses. It exactly. might be that things are a little bit more difficult now or anything mm. like that, but essentially it's that that drives us, isn't it? So, how can we make our horse happy and confident and willing in our partnership? Mm. And understanding what it is that we want, uh, we're going to look at things like comfort. So obviously, being a loriner, thats the right term for it, isn't it? A bit mm-hmm. yep, definitely. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be talking about comfort and things like that as well, and then maybe some common misunderstandings around training and some stuff like that, and anything anyone has any questions on in between. So, Olivia, just give us a little bit of background into you, how you got into what you're okay. doing, and you <laughs> tell us your story.
1: Right. Okay. Well, I think it all started when it was that time of choosing choosing a degree what you're going to go off and do um as a career and being an animal lover since i was tiny that was obviously obviously my pathway to do Um, so I actually started off doing animal behavior and marine biology at university and then realized that I didn't necessarily want to go out and measure plankton for the rest of my life so I changed and um, and then picked up the animal welfare side of things which just opened this massive door to um, kind of pet behavior counseling domestic animal behavior and welfare um, and then realized that so many things that we're doing with animals because they don't have a choice in a lot of things that we do, whether they're captive or domestic, you know, in, in our pets. Um, and I just felt that there was a lot of unfairness in that, um, in those relationships. So being able to help people make their animals better, happier and improve that whole round relationship was really important to me. So yeah, so I finished, uh, finished my degree. Um, so my degree is in animal behavior and animal welfare. Um, and I focused my dissertation on horse training um, specifically ethical horse training um, so I actually looked at using positive reinforcement in horse training um, and then did some did a little bit of research around that um, and I was lucky enough to present my research um, as a as Oral presentation um, in Philadelphia at the International Society for Equitation Sciences conference that was out there. So that was a huge, um, nerve-wracking moment for me, standing in this massive auditorium with all the world's like top scientists um, with all their equine research. So that was that was an amazing experience. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and then I sort of had a bit of a gap where I was trying to figure out where to go where to go next um, and for me I wanted to go and train um, at the Australian Equine Behaviour Centre which is run by Dr Andrew McLean and his family um, so to study with them, learn more about ethical horse training and putting that learning theory into practice and getting a lot of experience in that field. Um, So I ended up staying out there for four months doing their working pupil program and that was, oh it was amazing, it taught me so much Um, and then came back to the UK armed with all my new skills um, and just gradually started building things up. So I think for me predominantly it was more horse-based to begin with um, and definitely then picked up a lot of the dog stuff as well um and then I think in about oh I'd only come out of uni for about a year and then I was snapped up by um this uh, company called the um Animal Osteopathy International um, and they had a lot of courses based at the European School of Osteopathy so they then asked me to lecture on their courses um, in animal behaviour so dogs and horses um, which I really enjoyed and I've been lecturing with them for about six years now which is fantastic. Um, so I just pop on, meet all the students, teach them about dog and horse behaviour and body language so that they can treat them safely and it's just been what been wonderful really lovely um, so I've done quite a few few of those sort of lectures um and that's then opened me up into other academic areas where I've done a lot of talks and guest lecturing um, so I think the most recent place that I've done that especially for the equine stuff is at the Open College of Equine Studies in Suffolk um, which is good so during lockdown there's been quite a few webinars been going back and forwards. so that's been a huge learning curve for me to suddenly do it all online um, and uh, yeah, I think with the with the dog side of stuff, I see a lot more private clients for that. So it's not as much lecturing in, in the dog world than in the horse world for me. Um, but I've done quite a lot of courses on dog aggression. So I think with dog behaviour, I see a lot more of reactivity and aggression cases um, that are quite quite serious or at a veterinary level. I help help the vets with that. Um, but I'm gradually, I think everyone's mindset is chif- shifting a lot about their horses, and we're all a lot of the traditional views that are considered quite unethical sometimes are now being put to the side which is really nice so I'm having a lot more people actually approach me for equine behaviour situations um and and cases which is which is great um and I've actually got a sleep deprivation case coming up this weekend which will be very very interesting to um to have a look at that one so yeah it's all it's all building up you know it's it's great and actually I think Um, lockdown has been one of the busiest times for me because so many people are spending time at home with their pets and and riding their horses and actually I do want to work on this or this needs a bit of extra tweaking Um, so lots of lots of bitting clients coming out as well which is which has been great
0: that's fantastic. So you're a busy, busy lady. Obviously, got lots of ground in research and things I'm like that. I'm
1: very busy. Yeah.
0: And the cool part about um, researching this stuff is that you can, you really can research this stuff, can't you? You really can see the effect of things. You know, you can do it in a way that you can oh, tell yeah. the difference. It's really yeah, nice. Yeah. So tell us more about the idea of ethical mm-hmm. training of horses yeah. then, and some of the the things that are coming to the forefront now as perhaps not being seen as ethical because the thing with our horse world is it's been around for a very long time hasn't it and it started off in the military or it started off yeah. you know in in that sort of side of things and some of that stuff's still around but actually probably wasn't the most effective but it was just the way it was done at the time and things have very much changed mm-hmm. over the years haven't they so tell us a little bit more about that then
1: hugely and I think um when we talk about effort something being ethical it means that it's again there is a um your personal opinion on what is ethical, what's unethical. And then a lot of those ethics are deemed suitable by society. So those guidelines that society set up. So the ethics is now embedded in our law and in the Animal Welfare Act, um, which states that um, an animal must be free from um, fear, pain, discomfort. It has to have the freedom to express its normal behaviours. And actually, when we look at that closely and we nitpick on that, and then we look at what a lot of horses are exposed to so horses that are kept in stables for the majority of the day and hardly get any turnout or they get restricted access to forage um then you could you could argue that in those situations even though it's considered perfectly normal and acceptable um actually the welfare for that horse is could be considered quite poor and then therefore the treatment is quite unethical um so i think there is a huge um gray area well not necessarily a gray area but there's a lot of tradition, and then we've got the science that's now coming in saying a horse is stressed in this, this, this is causing them discomfort, this causes them fear and pain. Um, so it's, it's getting there, and I think over the past 15 years, it, they are starting to mesh together. Um, and I think the biggest, well, not outcry but the biggest bit of research that came about was quite a few years ago now but they basically proved that horses that were stabled were actually quite stressed um and that was and that was a big turning point for a lot of people um but then I think it, it can take owners especially the ones oh I've been doing this for 40 years and I'm really experienced and they be absolutely fine but trying to change that mindset and accept Um, a new way of thinking or a new way of doing something can be very very difficult for them so bombarding them with lots of stuff that just tells them that all you're doing is wrong is just not not very helpful so when it comes to talking about ethical training obviously that is all about making it clear for the animal they have to understand what you're asking Um, are you applying too much pressure that, and do they understand that you know have you actually taught them what pressure or release means so negative reinforcement do they understand what that means um, and ultimately if you're an ethical trainer then you are doing things for the welfare of the horse so that horse's mental state is that is the most important thing for you so I've seen trainers who claim that they are doing that and yet I'm watching them stress a horse out, put it into a flight response and it's just running around scared for 10 minutes. And eventually, yes, you get what you want. But for that horse, it was not an enjoyable, positive experience. So the memories that they're making of that and associating that with a person on the end of a long road flicking it around um, isn't necessarily going to going to help them. Um, and I think it's when people say ethical training, I think a lot of people go on the whole, it has to be positive reinforcement um, bandwagon, which is fine. And yes, that's, you know, that's the nicest way of training an animal. Um, but it doesn't have to be always positive reinforcement. Negative reinforcement is fine if you're using it correctly.
0: So just for the people that don't know what this language thats yeah. that you're using yeah. of positive reinforcement, <laughs> negative reinforcement, adding yeah. things, taking things away, all that kind of stuff. Tell us a little yeah. bit more about that.
1: Okay, so this is what the science has kind of uh, given to us, um, and we call it learning theory. So it basically describes how animals learn um, and take in new information. And it's exactly the same for us. We learn in exactly the same way. A fish will learn in exactly the same way. You can apply this to all kind of living organisms that can, that can learn new things. Um, so this is, and the, and the science was done, the research was done on this to prove this is the best way to train an animal that's the most ethical um, and the best for their welfare. So there are, if we consider um, operant conditioning now, which is where uh, an animal will make a choice about something and it performs a behaviour to get something else um, and there are considered four quadrants of operant conditioning, and two of these quadrants will increase the performance of a behavior, and two of these quadrants will decrease the performance of a behavior. So we've got reinforcement at the top to increase the performance of a behavior, and we've got uh, punishment at the bottom to decrease the performance of a behavior and there are two types of reinforcement we've got positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement just means giving something to the animal in order to increase the performance of a behavior so the horse stops and you give it a treat that and that's that sort of situation and negative reinforcement means you take something away to increase the performance of a behaviour. And this is I think the wording of this is a bit confusing for a lot of people because it's the word negative and you think it's really bad. Um, and tech, the, the actual definition of this is the removal of an aversive stimulus to the horse. And aversive doesn't mean it has to be painful or horrible or nasty it just has to be something that the horse wants to get rid of so for example your leg pressure um rain pressure if you're using a whip you're tapping it so that's that's pressure that's still something it wants to avoid even if you're waving a whip behind them it's still something they want to avoid so it's not a it's not a rewarding positive um stimulus but it's not something that should hurt the animal or should scare the animal um so for, so negative reinforcement, when you're riding your horse and you apply um, a backwards rein pressure for, to ask it to stop, the second that the horse stops, that's when you release that pressure. And it's the removal of the pressure or the aversive stimulus that teaches the horse what you want and is therefore increasing the performance of that behaviour in the future. So we've got positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, all all great you know. You can use them; it's not a problem. And I think people get very confused about the whole pressure and release situation with negative reinforcement because they just think it's either too nasty, or I've seen people say they're using it, and actually you're stressing the horse out, or you're causing it a lot of pain by hitting it too hard <laughs> with the with the stick. Um, and then we've got into our the. Um, punishment side of things so we've either got positive punishment or negative punishment again positive just means to add something so positive punishment means you've hit the horse for not doing what you want um, and that will decrease the performance of the behavior so for example if the horse bit you and you whacked it in the face straight away you would be positively punishing it for biting you Um, then you've got negative punishment so negative means to take something away so you might remove your attention from the horse to decrease the performance of the behaviour. And I think the most sort of common example of this is the horse is banging on the stable door to ask for his dinner. Um, and if you remove yourself from the situation or you remove the bowl, you, you take yourself away, you've then negatively punished the horse for performing the banging on the door behaviour. So in, in the whole sort of concept of ethical, ethical training, is that that trainer understands these quadrants of learning theory, because if you don't understand how the horse is learning, then you're not formulating your training in a way that that animal can understand. Um, And you are... missing quite a lot of the subtle indicators that that horse can give you that actually they don't understand they're quite stressed or they're frightened or they're becoming over aroused and frustrated in in some of those situations um so yeah it's a
0: wow it's it's really good and and it took me a long time to get my head Around these because it's it can yeah. get quite confusing as, you know they? what's a positive punishment like uh-huh. yeah. so yeah but so, okay so that's great and that that you mm-hmm. know gets people thinking that actually there are four ways to do things there are ways that mm-hmm. are preferred that are more helpful and there are yes. ways that aren't preferred but will still work but might Definitely. have a negative long-term effect okay cool yes. so if we are um looking at a common one so let's look at common mm-hmm. one so let's look at um so the top two are quite obvious, aren't they? You either mm-hmm. say, Thank you very much, that's what I wanted, yes. I'm gonna give you something, or you put <laughs> yeah. something on like a pressure of some sort, and yeah. when they give you what you want, you take it away. So that they're yeah. quite like common to think of. Yeah. But maybe let's have a look at the punishment punish area, mm-hmm. the bottom quadrant, mm-hmm. where um they're smacked for not doing the behavior. So, mm-hmm. you know, we see this, there was a controversy, wasn't there, with um it was Ollie townham wasn't it? Who was yes. hitting the horse too yeah. much after it, yeah. after it refused a fence. So that would yes. be an example, wouldn't it, of yeah. punishing yeah. it for not doing yes. what we want? Now, why is yes. that confusing for a horse? Because the Pony Club traditionally, and okay, there are people in the <laughs> Club don't do this, so we have to be really careful mm-hmm. about this stuff and generalising. Yeah. but often yeah. it's you know, if a pony refuses a jump, you smack it, for instance. Yeah. Why yeah. is that not helpful for a horse? Okay. If you want to build a confident partnership.
1: So when we're talking about punishment or even reinforcement, your timing has to be spot on. And if you're delayed by more than a couple of seconds, then the horse will not associate the punisher or the reward with the behaviour that it's just done. So, for example, if we think about the whole, OK, the horse is going to refuse a jump um, for the horse to really understand that refusing the jump was what was um What wasn't wanted, um, your timing has to be literally the second that that horse starts to slow down or trying to back off from the jump then that's when you if you were to use a whip and smack them, then that was that would be um, an appropriate ish um, use for that. Um, But by the time the horse has dumped you on the floor and you've got back on and then you give it four whacks, you're basically punishing the horse for standing still and letting you get on. So whatever you're doing, whenever that's that's occurring, what is the horse doing on the second that you've given them that? and then deem whether it's appropriate or not. And I think using a whip in sort of jumping aspects, um, again, it depends on what does the horse think the whip is? Like what is the, the cue? What, what behavior are you asking for from using the whip? Um, and so if have you actually trained your horse when I, when I do hit you with the whip, it means go faster or does it mean have a longer stride or is it literally just to cause you pain and then when you, cause a horse pain, they're not going to stand there and think logically about, oh no, what did I do wrong? I must do something else. Um, You then spark off a lot of um, stress and fear about the situation. So you've potentially then putting a horse into a flight response and running away from you. So for a rider, oh yes, now my horse is going fast and it's fine, um, but your horse is now in a stress response. So they're not necessarily capable of a lot of more logical thinking, so to speak, about what's going on. They don't necessarily think well, I refuse that jump, and that's why they hit me. So I won't refuse to jump again. Um, and when we, and when a horse is doing those unwanted behaviours, it's really important. Well, why did it do it in the first place? So a lot of the time, oh, actually, they in pain and, and jumping hurts, or um, they're actually getting quite tired and they're struggling, um, or you know it could be like physical pain from um, an internal sort of problem, or it could be the saddle's wrong, or you know anything like that could cause it could cause it pain and not want it to jump, um, or it found that the jump was scary and um suddenly got close up to it where they can now actually see it properly in their field of vision um and have then had a bit of a fright and gone, oh gosh no no thanks and they and they put the brakes on um so i think like when we're watching you know top eventers and stuff um i think they're very skilled riders and they know what they're doing and they know their horse um so yes you could argue that there are moments when applying the whip is appropriate and especially if you're going quite fast into a massive con- cross country fence it's dangerous to stop or slow down and get off of that off of your you know your speed and your line um so encouraging the horse to no we need to keep going otherwise <laughs> we're going to have an accident um i would deem that as suitable in the moment it's not necessarily the most ethical but you've got other things at play um and that horse wouldn't be there at that level if it couldn't do that if it couldn't compete at that level I think hitting the horse afterwards um is where and especially with the with that example on the on the eventing course um I think his horse was getting quite tired so for him he was trying to you know okay let's just let's get a bit more from you which again is fine but the horse was physically struggling and I think that's where that um ethical debate came in um to that um so and it's even it's exactly the same in horse racing when you talk about whips in horse racing um if the jockeys actually trained their horses to lengthen their stride on the use of a whip, then actually maybe that would be a slightly different take on that. But it's just the complete, you know, whack it, whack it, whack it. I know they're not doing that all the time because when you watch them, some of them are just waving it or they tap their leg or it's not actually hitting the horse every time. Um, But it's still when you watch them well, the horse isn't actually getting any faster, the horse isn't lengthening its stride. So what are you actually achieving with that and how does the horse feel about what's going on Um, and then just to touch on the consequences of using punishment and I think negative punishment um, is more ethical so to speak than positive punishment because you're just taking something away so taking your attention away from a horse that's banging on the door um, isn't hurting it but you have to understand that that horse is now going to get very frustrated Um, so again it might take longer for the horse to learn that banging on the door means my dinner walks further away from me Um, and actually using a more reinforcement-based approach in that situation would probably work a bit quicker um, and would have longer lasting effects than the negative uh, punishment Um, and then with positive punishment obviously that's the huge kind of no-no on ethical ethical training Um, but it does depend on what's happened to the horse before and what the horse has already learned and I think if you've got a massive 18-hand horse and it's coming towards you um, and it's going to do something absolutely horrendous because that's what it's learned to do and it's running frightened then instead of staying in that moment and thinking well I'll just beat the horse until it stops let's go backwards and see what's actually happening earlier on for this horse in its interaction with the person and work and work there. So I do think in some moments when people are punishing a horse they've hit it then if their timing is right then yes technically you're using positive punishment correctly um but it's when people use it as an ongoing process rather than looking at why the horse is doing it to begin with let's fix the root cause rather than this behavior that we're getting as an outcome of its stress or its fear um and if you're using punishment a lot then the horse every time it's interacting with a person um it's just associating you with things that are scary things that are frightening things that hurt um so it's all attitude about wanting to work and being sort of um a willing partner if you like in that in that concept in that training element isn't going to be very very nice for the horse so yes punishment works that's why it it exists you know if punishment works on us (laughs) um but then we can think about things in a very different way to animals we've got those high level of cognitive abilities um whereas horses just don't so that's where I see a lot of trainers who don't understand kind of the behavioral science side of things and they don't read body language correctly and they're waiting for a horse to do something that it's never going to be able to do because it doesn't have the abilities to understand um, those elements of human behavior that we and and put that onto a horse um and um, so you've just got this stressed horse running round and round that eventually just gives up and goes oh well if I stand still actually now you've left me alone so I'll I'll just do that or you've actually flooded the horse with a lot of scary things that it can't get away from so then you run into the realms of learned helplessness where the horse has learned nothing I do it's going to work so I'll just stand here and allow you to put all these things on me when so it on the surface, it looks like that was a best training in the world. But actually internally, and again, you can see it in, in the facial expression. It might only be very, very slight, but that horse is actually very stressed and it could be very frightened. So it's um, they work, but not necessarily for the right reasons that the trainer might is, is aiming for.
0: OK, amazing. That covered so many things. I've got a million questions now. <laughs> OK, but so when we look at um Look at any behaviour then. What I'm hearing yeah. is we need to look at the context. That's the most yes. important thing. How, yeah. Why is the behaviour occurring is going to be the most mm-hmm. important question there. What does that horse know or not know? What has it learned yeah. before? Um, yeah. Does it actually understand what you're asking of it or don't want it yeah. to do? Is your timing yeah. right on whether you're telling it is right or wrong in that moment? Yes. Yeah. Um, You know, what else might be getting in the way of it? Is it actually able to learn in that moment or is it in fear response? And all this stuff is just the same as human behavior. Well, it's because we're animals, essentially. Yeah. And it's exactly the same. So if we look into some things that like my clients, and in fact, a really great question, I think it's just come in for this, which Mm -hmm. probably is a really good one. Yeah, okay. So something that I work on a lot with my clients Mm -hmm. and and at the same time, I just wanna quickly talk about trauma here, which is um, when we talked about learned helplessness and we talked about flooding, that's a response to trauma in animals, isn't it? That's Mm -hmm. a response to, I can't do anything about this. So I'm gonna freeze or shut down. And that same response happens in humans. And I'm working with this all the time with Mm -hmm. humans. Um, Now we can go in and rewire the neurological link to trauma. I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's going to be a way one day. I want to find a way of doing this with animals because it works (laughs) so incredibly well in humans. But how do we get an animal to like, you know, change the video or whatever? I don't know. There must be a way. Um, so I've a lot with riders, helping them to understand the responses of their horses, not because that's what I do, but because sometimes when you can understand why a horse is behaving a certain way, you can then help the horse, which de-escalates the situation, can't you? Massively, but we've got yeah. to get the human into logical thinking and the horse able to deal with it. So one mm-hmm. question that's come through beautifully, because this is what I work with a lot, is, spooking or napping okay so yeah. why do some horses spook or nap in the same place when they passed it again and again and again and mm-hmm. what can we do to reinforce it and and also with that if we're talking about human mindset and human confidence often the horse might have like you say the scary jump it yeah. might have approaching and gone oh I don't think I'm sure of that and I'm, I'm always talking about the red filler I mean that's the thing I was talking about yeah. so you know a horse sees <laughs> a jump one day it happens to have a red mm-hmm. filler in it um, and it goes, whoa, I'm not sure about that. Or it doesn't quite get a stride, right? Or something happens, so it doesn't jump it or it stops mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But then the rider will take it from, perhaps I did something wrong or the horse wasn't able to deal with it or something was going mm-hmm. on. And they'll do what we call generalize. And this happens in behavior as well, doesn't it, generalization? Yeah. To the point yeah. where suddenly um, the horse doesn't like uh, red jumps or the horse doesn't like fillers and it becomes this big thing so then what happens is the rider is expecting it to happen so they'll behave differently which is then teaching the horse that when you see something looks a bit like that you stop so then the horse has a (laughs) problem so tell yeah. us a little bit about that side of things, because it just okay. fascinates me from both, yeah. both yeah. areas. So
1: I think I'm, I'm already thinking of a, a really interesting example that I had a long time ago. And um, it was a show jumper and this horse was absolutely fine. There were no problems with it. And it was a really talented, talented jumper. And it got to the point where on the I think it was either the fifth or sixth fence around the course. And they were all different courses, different venues, different locations would do a stop at the sixth fence. And um, for that horse, it it could have just well started off as something, lost it, an odd stride, an out stride. The fence was a bit spooky. Um, for some reason it stopped and they had to go again and do it again. Um, and this then, for the rider, because the horse would have forgotten about that, doesn't exist anymore. The rider, the next time came around because it was so out of character for this horse. Oh, we've got to six fence. I hope it's not going to happen again. Horse stops again, and I think this happened maybe at five different um, course, you know, events. Um, and they were like, we just don't understand, and like this horse is fine, being checked, blah blah. Um, and I got the rider to count the fences differently, or count them back to front, have a different number jump number four three times and then it was fine because I think a lot of it was from what how the rider was feeling at the time and tensed up slightly because oh god we're gonna it's gonna refuse the fence here we go um and then there's a huge pressure especially in a competition environment because you've paid your entrance fee the horse normally does really well and actually sometimes you come home with a bit of money um so it's it all piles on so you've got the rider being a stressed ball of tension and the horse can pick up on that so quickly and I think that this is the thing with horses they don't communicate um noises to other horses a lot a lot of it is these very very subtle body language indicators so it's just the flick of one ear or it's the blink of an eye or it's just the lick of a lip or the swish of a a tail you know so it's so so tidy and they're very acutely aware of what others are doing around them because that's what's so important and that is how they um on an evolutionary turn that's how they've developed as um really social animals and that's how they survive um And if they shouted at each other the whole time, oh, there's a scary bush over there, or potentially there's a um, a rabid dog that's going to eat us. um, Well, they're all just going to get preyed upon the whole time because they're making too much noise. So it's all about being quiet. Um, And so that's why I think they're so aware of what we're like and how we're feeling. Um, And uh, I really keep meaning to find the reference for this, but horses can actually hear your heartbeat from about three feet away. So if your heartbeat is racing and obviously during their whole life life period, um, they would have associated a racing heartbeat from a person with that person then acting quite um, scared or reactively, or that means the person is going to hit me all of a sudden, or depends on how that person reacts. So... Um, if the rider is tensing up um, and even just like the chemicals that are released in your body from stress um, the horse is going to pick up on those as well just like dogs do they can smell that on us Um, and horses can also not that they would necessarily see this when you're riding but especially when you're handling a horse um, they understand your they can they can read your your body language and your facial expressions and they remember that so they can actually pick out or they will respond differently to an angry face compared to a happy face and they remember remember the people that oh they that person gave me a really nice treat the other day and this person just hits me all the time or this person shouts at me all the time so they change their behavior and they remember these people in your face they remember your face and what you look like and who you are um and I think a lot of people maybe just don't realize or kind of forget forget that because in one breath you expect your horse to be as intelligent as a person and then in another breath you're treating it like you know a simple animal um But um, but yes, so basically they make memories in exactly the same way that we do, but their capacity for the amount of information they can take in at any one time is going to be a lot less than what we can take in at any one time. Um, And they're very context specific learners so we can generalize things much quicker than they can and horses take a lot longer they have to have a lot of repetitions of something in different um, environments in different contexts to then understand that the red filler is absolutely fine we don't need to worry about it um, and interestingly horses can't see red it comes up as gray so the red the red jumps always look a bit weird because it's kind of almost doesn't exist or it's camouflaged with the arena or there's a massive shadow and so it's 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 uh normal for a horse to be a bit spookier, so to speak, that on, on a red fence. Um, and uh, so if we think about spooking, um, and say your horse spooks at like say exactly the same point in every ride and you're fine and you've done all your meditation and your breathing, we're gonna go through this. Um, but the horse has made a very context-specific memory that point so say it was the pigeon that burst out of the hedge the second time because it was such a shock learning event for that horse and their their flight animals their prey animals So anything that scares them or is potential potentially dangerous that's very important for them to make a memory about that to help keep themselves safe in the future Um, and this is how they're kind of they will make those long-lasting memories very quickly in their brain and they process information that comes in as dangerous and scary um, quicker because of the pathway it takes through the brain so you can either kind of take a very shortcut pathway through it goes straight into the limbic system and then you've kind of made a memory about it without even really thinking like logically about that in piece of information or you can take information in calmly and it goes to um, kind of the cortex side of the brain to then think about it more um, and analyze it a bit more and think about how you will respond to that piece of information um so the pigeon bursting out of the hedge that suddenly it's very rapid it's very scary it's made a weird noise so that goes straight into the danger zone of the brain and makes a very quick memory about it um, and the horse hasn't has reacted without um being necessarily consciously aware of of what it's doing so that's why you have all oh, the horse at ran into a fence or did something really stupid Um, and actually it's because they weren't thinking about about what's going on so the next time you come to that hedge the horse is already thinking oh now hang on because now you've triggered off the memories this is now the environment context that we were in last time and those memories trigger how they felt the last time so I was scared here last time and I had a massive stress response and we danced about for five minutes before my rider could calm me down and then we, then we carried on. Um, and so having, having that and coming back into that area means you're almost definitely going to have the same reaction the last time. So it's about understanding that your horse isn't that there's always a reason for behavior your horse won't just suddenly decide to do something silly for the fun of it because they can't do that and <laughs> um, my favorite and phrase like,
0: people go are they just being an ass." no sorry no. <laughs> they're, they're never just being an ass. No. they've learned it for some reason <laughs>
1: Definitely they can't and they can't be naughty I get that one a lot oh she's just being she's really naughty today or she's just she's in a mood today um and uh yeah they're not humans they don't have the cognitive ability to be naughty um and I think to be naughty means that they have to understand how you think and feel about the thing that they're being naughty about um so technically they then have to have um theory of mind which is a whole other that's a whole other q a um but um yeah so for them to them to understand that they would have to have the cognitive abilities of us which they don't have so they they cannot think if i do this it's going to piss you off and and um why would they want to do that if they get punished for it anyway so it doesn't make sense so no they're, they're reacting out of strong emotions in the moment and then i think if that's repeated quite a few times so the first few times the horse spooks at the, at the hedge because the pigeon flew out the last the first time um you're it's still genuinely responding to fear-based emotions at that time in that specific context. But after a while, it will become a learnt response to being in that in that situation, because as far as they're concerned, well, this keeps me safe every time and the pigeon doesn't fly out. So I've got to dance around so the pigeon doesn't fly out. Um, so then you get this kind of habit, if you like, of being in this particular place. Um, and then that's why... You, you're finding well what, what the hell am I going to do about this because there's no there's no pigeon um and you could say okay well let's have loads of fake pigeons and we'll just shoot them out of fences every now and again um, but it's in completely different situations completely different context as well so you can desensitize a horse to pigeons jumping out of hedges um but you might not so they might be able to cope better in that situation where they had the pigeon jump out the fence the first time um, but you've still got to help them cope with being startled and then coming back down from that so that's where like the desensitization work can come in handy because you're teaching a horse how to cope with sudden things that are happening um, and basically we're helping you have less of a flight response each time um, and some of that is to do okay well that's the, the quicker we can stop you from rushing forwards or spinning or turning, then we're not allowing you to fulfill that fight response so we're not allowing um, you to escalate in that fear emotion, so to speak, but we have to be careful that we don't put too much pressure on that then stresses the animal out even more otherwise you're not having a positive experience about it um so this is where having your basic responses in hand and under saddle down to a T is really really is really um helpful otherwise if you can't if you don't have a horse that responds to your stop aid or your go aid or your turn um then in a stressful situation you've got no chance that that horse is actually going to listen to you um so it's it's working with sort of spooky issues like that and it's understanding that is it a strong fear-based emotion now or is it now a learnt a learnt behaviour? Um and going back to that place and actually t- helping them relax in that area. So I'll I'll say to people, okay, well if you're rising, um then just stand still and let them eat the hedge for a while, have a bit of a graze, just stand still and genuinely relax. And if they can't do that on a hack anyway, then well maybe we need to readdress the whole actually leaving the yard um and um relaxing. <laughs> um, so and I think, yeah.
0: I was just going to, say, to add to that the really common one that we you must hear all the time as well is about oh you know we go out hacking and my horse spooks and it scares me so what we've yes. got in this situation and this is why very often I will refer owners to someone like yourself yeah. yeah. to help the horse because we've got this partnership here and mm-hmm. you can't rely on your horse to be confident for you if it's not confident in that situation no. so what often happens when we're on a hack let's talk about the pigeon in the hedge from a human yes. perspective how this <laughs> creates a perfect storm is that the, the pigeon jumps out, the horse spooks. But because the human has had a traumatic experience, it does whatever you call trauma, but mm-hmm. an experience they would like, rather not repeat because of their yeah. horse behaving in whatever way it did. So that could be fight, flight, fidget or freeze, any of those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Yep. Um, generally, we don't mind freeze, but we know normally that's a moment before it will then do one of the others isn't it? yes so yeah. yeah anyway so um because that's happened they then go into their limbic response they go into their fear response yes. so then we've got a horse yes. and a human yes. in non-logical <laughs> fear response haven't yeah. we and mm-hmm. and often what happens is the human says well once my horse has come down I'll be okay and the bit that I work on is go well you can't expect that unless you're going to go and do that so, you so you that's calm a good down. bit to go mm-hmm. we've got to get you to calm down so I work yeah. in exactly the same way with the human yeah. so that we can get the human response not being, because if we think about it, your horse has a, ne- a negative reaction, now, a reaction we'd rather not have to yeah, a stimulus. Yes. And then you go wah, 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 at it because you get angry and scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, you, you go, you're oh, getting... why are you doing that? Do you...? Yeah. you tighten up the reins and you go yeah, yeah, it in yeah, the yeah, gob yeah. and you beat it and you yeah. do whatever, you smack yeah. it, you get annoyed. And then the horse goes, God, that thing flies out the hedge. And then you respond like that. It must be terrible. I'm getting out there before you yes. can go near the hedge. And then we start getting napping problems and issues Mm -hmm. because it goes, I don't even want to go near that. So it's the same for horse and human, isn't it? Like Mm -hmm. we've got to get both of them able to respond appropriately. So let's think about something like napping. How would napping come about then?
1: So napping um, mainly is actually anxiety um, at leaving their place of safety. So for some horses, this is leaving the yard and leaving their friends behind. um, Because again, it's not really normal or natural for a horse to go out by itself and be by itself. Um, And especially if this is a horse, so I, I commonly see nappy issues in horses that don't have a lot of access to other horses on that social level. So they might be able to see horses from their stable door, but they never really get to touch them. They never get to um, graze with them. They're in a field by themselves. Um, And that's for social animals. That's a huge impact on their quality of life. Um, And it does affect them on a mental level because actually horses are driven to seek that social interaction with other horses and if we're denying them that then they're going to be stressed at some level even if they appear absolutely fine and I think this is where it depends on the history of the horse because obviously you do have some horses that have never been socialized so putting them with other horses actually stresses them out much more Um, and x-race horses are typical ones of that you put them in a field with other horses and they just go insane or they do death laps around the field or they're too they're too almost pro-social and get themselves beaten up by everyone else because they're the irritating horse that's just appeared and wants to be friends with everyone but has no boundaries of social interaction or communication at all. Um, So the uh kind of that anxiety of leaving others will differ depending on what the horse experiences or or doesn't experience and and what their social relationships are like on the yard. Um, So we've got that anxiety of that. So that horse probably will start napping the second that you're even getting on and it knows, oh we're not heading to the arena, we're heading out. Um, And even that can be a delayed reaction to your go-aid. They might do a bit of a zigzag so they're not actually maintaining a consistent rhythm or speed and they're not maintaining straightness that you've, that you've put them on and they might be constantly turning around to look and you'll just I'll just get on with it get on with it so you've kind of missed a lot of these early signals that the horse is, isn't happy um, and then you get half an hour out and now it's really having having a meltdown because it just can't cope because we've gone too far now um, or it's trigger stacked in its stress so we've got minor stress response at leaving the yard then the pigeon flew out then the car went past then something happened and for a horse that's already anxious about being on its own and it's not confident then having things happen even if you feel like but the car went past and it didn't do anything. The horse might still have had a little stress response to that. You don't know, unless you had heart rate monitor on and a cortisol saliva sample going on all the time or, or blood sample tests going on. Um, you're just not going to know. You're not going to get enough accurate feedback to know. And horses can be very clever at hiding those responses if, you, if you've always been punishing those. So if the car goes past and you whack it to get it back onto, onto the edge of the road because it suddenly swerved its bum out or something, then yes, you've... Um, got the desired behaviour that you wanted, i.e. the horse has gone back over, but because you used punishment in that moment, you haven't helped the horse feel better or more confident about the car going past. So you've not taught it anything nice. You've not said, this is how I want you to behave when cars go past. You've just said, don't do this. And that's that's all the guidance that you've given it. Um, So if all of those things are happening, then you've got a very trigger-stacked horse that's napping and now has an explosive moment out in the middle of the field because now well there's way too much space and now I just I'm freaking out and I can't cope um so for, for for napping it's not something that you fix out on your ride it's something that you fix on the yard and actually being able to get on and go up the driveway and for some horses it's um for like a week just going up to the driveway by themselves and coming back down and actually the whole way is nice experiences is nice things to do um and in really severe cases um well let's take you out with a friend for a while um to get you out feeling a bit better and then we gradually take the friend away so you get more of a distance in between you and the friend um and then sometimes you know you go out by yourself but we only go a little way and then we come back again so you're just breaking it down into manageable steps of the horse and i think again this is something that a lot of people don't consider because like, no, just get on with it. Just march out. You'll be absolutely fine. Um, And I think if you've got a confident rider on that can just ride them through those situations, then yes, you don't have this huge meltdown. Um, But you have to ask yourself, what has the horse really taken away from that? And actually, were they just bubbling away with all this anxiety and stress, but they just haven't reacted to that because... They know that you're just going to either punish it or you're just going to ride it forwards anyway. So it's not you're not necessarily beating it up, but you've just given it no other choice other than just to keep going. So, yes, the horse is hacked out, but it's not necessarily in the most helpful um, set it up for success sort of situation for that for that individual. And I do. And I see this a lot with owners that have got a spooky difficult horse and they sit to a trainer and the trainer gets on absolutely fine but unless you work with the rider as well to help them feel confident and I think just like you say understanding why the behavior is happening in the first place and being able to read your horse correctly is huge for my clients are actually feeling happier working with their horse and they know um oh you know there's a bag in that hedge over there or I know that the dog comes up to this to this fence. so let's just slow it down let's break it down let's take it easy let's wait here wait for the dog to come up first and then you can go past the dog because now you haven't just shoved your horse in this situation where all of a sudden something comes up in its face and then the rider feels much happier and I think for some people it's this is how everyone else does it so therefore I have to be the same and actually accept your own limitations and accept where you're at in your abilities and work with that with yourself because you're right if if you get stressed and I think it's difficult especially when you've had a horse that's done something really really awful and you have had a traumatic experience with that horse you can't help but go into survival mode whenever the horse changes so if the horse dumps its shoulder and spooks one way, you're instantly gonna hold on with the reins and you've you've lost your seat now, you've lost all your balance and you're just hanging on (laughs) before you can kind of compose yourself and get back down. But in that moment, like you say, you've just stopped it in the mouth, you've kicked it, you've shouted at it, you've you've whacked it. Um, so the horse has gone from having a minor even it might not have even been stressed in that moment it's just that visual stimulus of something that's made it go oh oh, I don't know what that was um and most of the time if you if you sort of sat there with a long rein and was like oh yeah okay that's fine okay off we go um then there's never there hasn't been a negative consequence for the horse there's been zero consequence but now a nice positive one when it's oh yeah okay I can calm down now well done we'll have a nice with scratch and, and off we go have have some cow party on the way around have a nice treat um and um, and that is a much more helpful way. Um, and I think actually saying to some owners, it's OK to go slower or it's OK to stop and stand still. And I know that's not always ideal for some horses because making the stop can actually make them a bit more anxious. And sometimes keeping them moving is more appropriate. So this is where it's not a one rule fits all situation. It's what are the capabilities of the rider, what can the horse actually actually manage?
0: And I think this is where a lot of people say to me, um, oh well would it be helpful if someone else hacked them out for instance and it's like well yes if we look at it in the you you've both got a response that's not ideal at the moment yeah if someone confident starts to hack them out helps them become confident does the right stuff with the horse so the horse then starts to realize actually do you know what I'm not going to always get a fear response when something happens my Mm -hmm. you know the person riding me isn't always going to be socking me in the mouth or getting Mm. unbalanced or shouting at me so they can learn that then it's okay whilst I'm working with the rider to unwire their stuff when we put the two back together we've broken two patterns there because this is the other thing isn't it that that in behavior there is always patterns always Mm. patterns there's always a trigger there's an action there's a target to the pattern and then an exit afterwards and when we get in other people or other animals patterns Mm. we'll always operate off that pattern so the trigger happens Mm. and both of us have a response which creates something, which creates something. And then we get into this cycle yeah. and we need to break that. And and sometimes someone like yourself can help us break in the animal. Mm-hmm. And sometimes someone like myself has, now helps yeah. needs to help break it in the human. But actually, if we can break it in both places, then that's really, yeah. really effective yeah. because yeah. we're not getting the stimulus. Well, we get the stimulus, but we're not getting the response mm-hmm. to the trigger from either side anymore. Exactly. So we're all good, yeah. which brings yeah. me on to just a little bit, if we can cover in the last few minutes of this, mm. um, you're talking a lot about returning to competition because a lot of people obviously mm-hmm. now are. There's yes. been a break from the environment yep. of competition yep. and all the things that brings. And a lot of people might have been doing stuff at home that they think, oh, you know, this is going to help us at competition. Mm. But may find that actually when they go to competition, it hasn't made any difference because mm. of the environmental element. So how yeah. do we start from a from an animal perspective? So I've been talking about it a lot mm. from a human perspective of like, you know, treating some mm. shows as training and all sorts of things. Yeah. How do, we, mm-hmm. how do we do that for a horse that we might have de-spooked them at home, we might have got them used to umbrellas at homes, tannies, yeah. rings, yeah. other horses, or we might not have at all. We might have been yeah. in a lovely little one person in the yes. school bubble for the last <laughs> few months or whatever, yes. or just yeah. hacked or whatever we do. Mm-hmm. How do we help a horse now get back into competition of elements, which has got so many things to it, hasn't yeah. it?
1: Yeah, and I think we have to look at what the horse has already okay with so if you've got a horse that's seasoned in competitions and actually doesn't batter an eyelid of being there um, then they're not going to forgotten all of that the next time you go out you know they 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 do remember things quite well um and I think when I've been to competitions and I've seen other riders and other horses that are there and you've got the horse that can't stand still outside the lorry you've got the horse beating the lorry up when it's standing you know because it can't cope with standing still on the lorry um and then you've got the horses that don't cope in the warm-up Area. I mean, that's fine because it is quite stressful for a horse. You've got horses coming at you in all directions, and some riders are just awful in their etiquette in in that in that area. Um, and there's I'm watching my poor client. Like their horse has got an issue with other horses coming too close, and we're just like back off, leave us alone, leave us alone. Um, so it, that's that's stressful for the person, alone the horse. Um, and we need to identify. Okay, well, what is it about the competition that your horse has a response to, rather than my horse is good at competitions that doesn't exist there will be something so exactly there is a trigger for those behaviors and there might be multiple triggers or there might be just one um and for some horses you know typical dressage runs oh it's the flowers in the um or decoration around the arena is a huge thing for this horse um so in that situation okay well let's um go to somewhere let's hire out the venue um take your trainer with you um or even have a few friends to make it cheaper um go together and just practice being in the arena practice your dressage test just do silly things but actually make it. It an enjoyable experience for your horse um because practicing flowers at home is all very well but again they're context specific so you can't take it not learning flowers at home is fine but learning flowers in an arena where they now can't go up and touch them or they can't you know it's a completely different environment because then there's all this other stuff that's now combined with flowers in a dressage really in a competition environment um and i think they do have uh, the horses will have a tougher time if you if you've got a stressed out person that's worrying about that um and again we've got the pressure of i've paid a lot of money to be here i've just traveled an hour it was difficult to get on the lorry all of these things just add on to it um and uh sometimes I've said to people, okay, you know what? I know that you're capable of going to a competition and you don't care. Uh, you know, you're, you're not worried about your horse's behavior but your horse isn't coping. So actually you need to go to a competition. Don't pay an entry fee. Just turn up in the car park because you can. Turn up in the car park, have a walk round, go home. Take it for a little hack round round the, you know, location fine go and go and walk into the warm-up arena because I don't think anyone really checks so so go there have um have a ride round, and then come home <laughs> oh, you can see my um, face
0: then only because an event organizer'd be like no you can't do that I mean obviously at the moment we're gonna have to be a bit careful as to what you can do so you need oh, to get yeah. Yeah, 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 and things yeah. like that. but yeah the yeah, definitely, concept definitely. of it is definitely there though, yeah. isn't it?
1: It's it's going there and practicing, but taking the pressure off of yourself that you're there to compete. Um, and sometimes, if you go to like an unaffiliated show or something, it doesn't cost a lot of money, and it's then not going to go on your record or it's not, you know use it as a training situation um, because you've got people, you've got other horses, you've got other you know the um, the staff walking around, you've got people calling out names, you've got the tannoy going, um, and um, and that that in itself can be quite there's it's the atmosphere as well, um, and I think that's that's harder when it seems we can't really see but you can feel the buzz and again the horse will pick up on that as well because you've got other horses going around that might be quite stressed or might be quite um you know over over overstimulated um in those environments and when the horse is overstimulated with too many things going on um they might not necessarily be frightened of all these things but it's too much information to take in and they can't cope with that so then you get a reactive horse but it's not necessarily because they're petrified of everything it's just too much going on um, so break it down find pinpoint what it is that your horse isn't confident with at a show and if it starts with being on the lorry then you need to practice being on the lorry and standing still on the lorry can can you actually leave your horse tied up with the ramp down and leave it there and it, and it stands still or does it bash the floor after five minutes um, well that's what we need to work on we need to teach you to be able to stand still and relax on the lorry because if your horse isn't relaxed You haven't even brought it out, tacked it up yet. So you're setting it up to have a bad day, basically. Um, And um, and I think some some riders like having a more fiery, reactive horse because when we're in a state of acute stress, so stress that lasts for like a couple of minutes. Technically, the body can perform better in some senses, and there is actually there's some research on show jumping which has proved this to some extent. Um, but then, on a mental level, then we have to ask, well, why is the horse stressed to begin with? And is it just excited and let's do stuff? That's kind of okay for me. Um, but if it's stressed because actually, on this is too much for me, I'm quite like uh, in a negative state of emotional stress. Um, then yeah, we need to readdress that and make it make it feel better
0: okay so just really quickly to ask you on that one god we could talk about this yeah. for hours can we i think I we might need to do a joint course <laughs> we might need to do another one
1: yes so, definitely. there's
0: definitely so <laughs> many parallels here it's crazy Passively, um yeah but um, let's talk about the idea of a horse being excited and stressed. And I know I keep talking about yeah. jumping, but I, I see a lot more of this stuff in jumping yes. dress just yeah. because of the acute stress levels for both. Definitely. It's slightly yeah. more dangerous, potentially. You've got to be going faster. Things happen yes. quicker, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. So yes. let's look at a pony, for instance, or a horse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, one of the misconceptions is that when they're really pulling and they're going for it, mm-hmm. they go, oh, my pony loves it. And I often look mm. and I think... That's not no, a pony that's loving it. That's <laughs> no. a really, really stressed out pony. Like you've had to yeah. bit it up like crazy. You can't actually yes. stop it. You know, you've yeah. got to pull it around the corners because it's not really listening. Mm-hmm. Like how, how can we start to educate people on the difference between an excited horse mm. and a stressed horse without the anthropomorphization as well, which is yeah. really difficult, which the technical term... Is anthropomorphization? I love the word. What, what, if people yeah. are like, what are they on about? Never heard of that word. What, what would you say that that is? I'm probably better off asking you
1: today. Okay. So it's, it's basically think. putting um, human emotions and uh, mindsets, feelings onto an animal that doesn't have the cognitive abilities to feel those or to experience those. So saying that um, the horse is guilty um, is completely scientifically incorrect because they they cannot experience the uh feeling or emotion or mindset or feeling guilty now that's not that's just to say that science hasn't proven that so we'll just you know put, put that out for everyone um, and and um, but this is all this is the point of being evidence-based we're using the evidence that science has taught us that this is how they think and feel um and so it's not to say that they can't feel jealousy because jealousy has been proved in dogs um but it's only in very specific situations um and I did have someone say to me the other day oh my horse um protects me from other horses in the field and I was like "Mm, I don't think she is I think she's protecting you as a resource so she's technically resource guarding you from the other horses and that was what's really going on so there's always a more simple explanation. for what's what's really happening so when we say the horse is naughty you know well actually it's because it's in pain or it's frightened or it's just learned it, it was originally and now it's learned this behavior and like you say when there's a trigger and there's a behavior and there's a consequence in behavioral science we call it the abcs so you've got kind of the thing that happens first um so the antecedent if you like of the behavior so the trigger for the behavior then you've got the behavior itself and then you've got the consequence so what does the animal get out of doing that behavior so even if you think oh the horse is rearing and and going mad well what does the horse get well actually when it rears up it, it gets a complete release in brain pressure so there's no bit pressure anymore um, and it's managing to avoid or begin its flight response from something that happened and even if that is pain or a fearful stimulus that it's seen um in that split second it worked for that horse so it's just been rewarded for for rearing basically um, and uh, it's when, when we start to break that down, again, that helps owners realise what's really happening. And then when you can identify the trigger, well, now it's never going to happen again if you never encounter the trigger. But it's all about teaching the horse and rider to cope, to manage, to retrain the behaviours surrounding that trigger.
0: Cool. OK, so how can we tell the difference then if we take a pony that's show jumping between one that's yeah. super excited and really wants to do it? and one that Mm -hmm. actually is running through the bridle or is in a fear response or has realised that stopping's not going to work. Or, in fact, the other day I saw one, it was very interesting. It's clearly Mm -hmm. not very Happy Little Pony. Mm -hmm. They've had Mm -hmm. to put it in its it's Dutch gag because that's right. you know it's suddenly become really excited to be able yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um yeah. uh but actually it refused to go in the school the other day. It just stood there and planted. Ah, and it nice. was like I'm okay. I'm having to bite my tongue because yeah. I think yeah. I know exactly <laughs> why your pony won't out. go in the school. Um and I know exactly mm-hmm. why it's now in a Dutch gag. Please don't tell me it's excited. It must be yeah something else so tell yeah. me why that might be. and i think
1: this is where um, when you know the subtle differences and you know what you're looking at in terms of body language then the horse a horse cannot lie it, they, it just doesn't exist with them they they do not have the abilities to lie so um watching if i see um a lot of evasions, i see discomfort in the face i see tension in the face um the tail swishing a lot a horse that's n- not as responsive to the rider's aids or i see a, an, a rider applying lots of aids and the horse isn't responsible to them and um, so it can work you know kind of both ways the horse isn't just listening uh, you know the rider might be pulling and pulling and the horse is just going for always the whole time um, or they're saying oh turn this way turn this way and it's just not not doing it um, so that highlights to me that it's not responsive to the training so that's now gone out the window I'm looking for indicators of stresses in that negative emotional stress in the horse's face and there are some very clear markers for that then you know what you're looking for and I think it's very different difficult because when you have got a physically stressed course because they're doing something that's physically demanding um you're going to have some level of emotional stress that comes with it so I always think of it like well if I was to run a race I'm going to be because you're like well again this is the difference between humans and people we've got a goal and we understand what we want at the end of this race whereas the horse doesn't Um, and I think you've either got the horse if the horse the horse can be physically stressed but mentally okay so there might be a tiny bit of emotional stress but not necessarily anything that we would worry about so to speak um but the horse that is negatively emotionally stressed will be showing that in their facial expression and in their body language when they go around the course and the pony that runs flat out over everything um and i see this quite a lot on the facebook videos that are advertising You know super show jumping ponies and they're literally just bombing around this course with this small child flapping around behind them holding on for dear life and that's worth a small fortune this pony but actually what i'm looking at um is a very stressed out pony that's just learned to run over everything rather than use itself properly rather than listen to the rider there's no slowing down it's literally point and go and for some people that's what they want okay that's fine that if that's what you want then that's what you want Um, but if you put a nervous child on their back and i think i've had this a lot where parents have bought their child one of these ponies and then they get hold of it and think oh my god what have we done this has been winning everything and now it's just a mess Um, because you put it on a rider that's almost trying to do too much or isn't doing enough or is now scared of it because it's bombing them over every single jump Um, and now it's a question of now we're unpicking this emotional mess from this little pony um, that has been put in bits that are too severe when really you could have just retrained the responses properly. And I mean, I will say talking about those those sorts of bits, I think for some people and for some horses in some situations, then yes, having a bit that's got more of a lever action um, and then potentially applying more pressure, especially to the pole, um, is going to help you. But it, again, it all depends because it's still negative reinforcement. So if your timing is correct and you're not actually using it as a positive punisher, then... I think it's fine and it will help you because sometimes hauling on a snaffle is gonna be more painful and upsetting for a horse than just asking fractionally in a lever action bit. So you can be kinder in those bits, but it all depends on how you're using it. Um, And if it's fitted correctly and suits the horse's mouth and et cetera, et cetera. Um, But yes, I think if you're watching a horse go round and it's performing well, it might be physically stressed, but it will not be showing any discomfort, any fear, any stress, uh, as in the negative emotional stress in its face or its body. It will be relaxed. To as much as relaxed can be when we're jumping around a one meter 20 or whatever. Um, but it won't be, um, there won't be this tension in the face. Horses that are, are stressed tend to have a triangle eye. So you get the point um, above the eye. Um, any sort of oral behaviors or discomfort behaviors, um, tail swishing that's going around like a windmill. Um, again, like bucking, any all of those unwanted behaviors. If you see those, then that does indicate that horse is struggling at some point with with something
0: cool okay and i think we're going to get you back on to talk about okay. fitting and laurenry and <laughs> yeah, definitely. you know facial responses and comfort mm-hmm. and some of the myths around bits and all this kind of thing i yeah. think would be fabulous to help people out with that definitely. as well because you know yeah. the thing about any of the tools and techniques that we use with animals so kit or training that we use with humans so mindset or physical mm-hmm. stuff any of that stuff, it's all about the context and the appropriateness and just understanding the effect that it's having and whether that's what we want or not. There's no such thing as a bad piece of... Well, there might be a bad piece of kit, all right. You know, yeah, there are. Really, <laughs> there are some bad yes. yeah. But yeah, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of misunderstood pieces of kit, aren't there? Mm. And things like that. And especially when it comes to bits and bitting and understanding the effect yeah. of them and the comfort. And, yeah. you know, yeah. it could be the nicest, kindest thing ever. But if you've got a pair of hands that never release or, you yes, know, it's exactly. too tight or it's pinching, it's yeah. not going to be a nice... No, exactly.
1: And I think if, if that piece of kit is uncomfortable it's causing the horse pain um so just a a really recent example um I went to see a horse who's um who hunts she was in a Waterford three ring gag um and I put her into a Pelham which was much more comfortable for her mouth and because it's a fixed lever then your aid is there and then it's not as soon as you release so you can be a lot more accurate with that sort of um cheek piece than you can with a loose with a loose lever Um, and obviously getting rid of that waterford mouthpiece for her made her so much more comfortable she didn't open her mouth she was much more responsive to the rider so it's not one of those immediate quick fixes but it now makes the horse more comfortable and responsive to your aids and then now that's when you're training comes into it and helps repair that on on top of that Um, but even when we look at the gadgets that are out there and things like that then okay well how does it make your horse feel using it Um, and the horse does not understand why you've put the Pasoa on it doesn't understand why you've put the special head collar on or you know the special training aid or whatever you're using it doesn't understand why you've got the carrot stick it doesn't understand what the carrot stick is meant to be doing Um, so it's all up to you to teach your horse that's what we want and i think um, the tools that get really difficult for horses to understand are the kind of the lunging aid tools, because we want them to start engaging this that, and that muscle, but they have no idea. Um, they don't know. And if we go and see a physio or something, then we know we're meant to be doing it like this. And it's meant to feel like this, but we can't tell that to a horse. Um so shoving it in something that's really restrictive immediately you now get a stress response to being in that piece of equipment you've got mental tension you've got that resistance going on on the mental and physical level because they might well be resisting the effect of the draw reins or the side reins that are too tight so instead of they might be going around looking Pretty in their outline, but actually you're just building up a lot of this tension here and building up the wrong set of muscles. Um, so when and I can always see a horse has been ridden in draw reins, or, always. Um, and uh, even if they try and tell me that they haven't, I'm like no, nope, someone has. <laughs> Someone's been doing it. Um, so yeah, I think this it again. It comes down to to behaviour and understanding how horses learn and realizing that putting something on the horse if you if you don't teach the horse what it is and how to respond to it then it's never going to understand so then what's the point of of putting it on
0: a really great prime example of that is a friend of mine has got a gorgeous pony and it has never been taught what flexion is and then mm. um someone was saying it needs more flexion, it needs to it. and she's asking it and it's stopping and it's backing up and it's doing because yeah. actually it was never taught how to just flex its neck. Mm. As soon as it quietly in walk, it doesn't matter whether it was going forward or whatever, it was taught that all I want you to do is that and all I want you to do is that and it went, Well, oh, I can yeah. do that. But yeah. all the other time that it, you know, it didn't understand it, it was getting frustrated and annoyed. Now it gets oh, yes. hang on a minute that's what it's purely because there was a gap in the training that's all there was the person before never taught it the trainer that they had never taught it and now they're they're being told you need this and they're like phone doesn't understand what that is so he's showing me every other single reaction to it because actually it doesn't know what i want it to do so i think that's Mm. a there's so many great examples aren't there of how it's just purely like shouting in french isn't it you know yes. <laughs> it, we do this a lot don't yeah, we yeah. just shout louder in a foreign language and suddenly they're going to understand it and we've got to yeah. you know that's how I kind of think of it
1: sometimes is mm, we no, definitely yeah yeah are we just shouting well saying, saying, <laughs> exactly exactly
0: cool okay so we're definitely going to get you back on I think to talk about okay. bits and bitting yeah. and, and comfort more about that kind yes. of stuff as yes. well yeah um is um if people want to get a hold of you I know there was a question that came up about lunging okay. and spooking and things um but yeah. Maybe they can ask that directly to you. I think we kind of answered it as well anyway. But it's it's very individual case as well, isn't it? I mean, some people, I get this a lot. People say, how can I deal with this? And it's like, well, actually, it depends Mm -hmm. on how you've got to the point you're at. There's not like a one size fits all. If it was that simple, we'd all just be doing it, wouldn't we?
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but I think if uh, if anyone wants to ask a question, they can either get in touch with me directly via my Facebook page or if they comment under this video on your page, um, then I can, I can jump in and um, answer some questions on there. And then everyone else can see the question and the answer, which might be quite helpful.
0: Yeah, that would definitely be quite helpful. Um, so your Facebook page is Olivia Turner, Animal Behavioural Consultant and... <laughs> Bitting specialist <laughs> one, one?
1: yeah um i think it. it's um if you if you do the <laughs> at symbol and then olivia turner abc i shortened it so that that's a quick way to um to find. But i don't think there are many other olivia turner behavior consultants out there so it shouldn't be it shouldn't be too difficult <laughs> super so if
0: they're listening in on the podcast and they want to get in touch with you and your
1: website yeah. is uk.
0: super Great, so it's all about okay. the ABCs. That's brilliant. There we go. It is, yeah. <laughs> thank you so, so much for Excellent. everything. And um everyone saying thank you so much. You know, um people. people saying this is brilliant, it makes so much sense, you know, and all that sort of thing. So um we'll, and what we'll set on clinic. Yeah, we no, I think we absolutely need to. I think it'd be think really, really, nice. really key to do that. So we will collaborate in the background, guys, listen mm-hmm. out for what we're gonna be doing together then, that will be Definitely. great. Um yeah. and watch this space. Yes. So Wonderful. thank you so much, Olivia and uh, and we'll yeah. catch you soon. Bye. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google, and on Podbean. Hack your mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us, and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone.